0: from palm springs in the california desert now is the time for desert oracle live
1: well it is nighttime in the desert once again just look outside we're having a fine evening at the Ace Hotel, the Ace Hotel and Swim Club here in Palm Springs, playground of the presidents, as they say, and luckily not the case right now. Tonight we bring strange tales from the vast American desert, a land of weird schemes and enduring mysteries. Since ancient times here, for as long as humans have lived upon this arid landscape, there have been sightings of strange lights in the sky, fireballs that follow you around, even airships, airships in broad daylight. Now Death Valley got its English name from some gold rush bozos who got lost out there trying to get to the California that they'd read about in the newspapers, the land of milk and honey and mostly the land of... Easy pickings, the land where you could pick gold right up off the ground. But that big valley, with the funeral and Panamint Mountains rising up on either side, great walls of rock topped with cool forest opinion, was and is the home of Shoshone people, Paiute tribes that have called the place home for ages. The tribe that calls itself Timbisha today. The valley floor is just fine in the winter months. And when it gets hot, the people would pack up and they would head for the pine forest. They would go up there and live in relative comfort, hunting deer and bighorn, collecting pinion nuts, and watching these mystery sky ships that would travel from mountain peak to mountain peak across the immense valley we call Death Valley. The ships they thought of as canoes, the ships of another race, the the race of the old ones. In 1947, a Washington State businessman and private pilot named Kenneth Arnold watched in amazement from the cockpit of his private plane as a fleet of boomerang-shaped craft maneuvered over and around the Cascades at tremendous speeds. The whole country, the whole world, really quickly went nuts for the flying saucers. Two years later, with the UFO panic still growing, a magazine called Fate. The same magazine that published Kenneth Arnold's first-person story of his famous encounter published a curious tale called Tribal Memories of the Flying Saucers. A transcribed conversation between a visiting Navajo writer and a Timbisha elder, the article quotes the elder as saying... We, the Paiute Nation, have known of these ships for untold generations. We also believe that we know something of the people who fly them. These stories were often neglected by the self-appointed UFO experts because it did not fit easily into the popular theory of the time, our time. The popular theory that the often-seen mystery craft in our earthly skies had to be spaceships had to be filled with space aliens. It fit our mindset at the dawn of the still new space age. It fit our science fiction stories. In time and in our present time, the old stories became so separated from our space age theories that the easiest way to scare off an intrepid UFO researcher was to mention that your sighting also featured a hairy monstrosity with eyes like burning coal. From the high desert cowboy movie set village of Pioneer Town, we are very happy to have the documentary filmmaker Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy, if you're out there in the dark, please come on up to the phone booth. Let's welcome Jeremy Corbell to Desert Oracle Radio. Your films live on ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com.
0: Yeah, currently on iTunes as well, yeah.
1: I brought up these ancient tales from Death Valley and here in Palm Springs because it will go well with something I want to ask you about. We've talked about it a little bit before, but it's a place that has utterly fascinated me since I first read about it in the Deseret News in 1996. It's a place known to connoisseurs of the weird as the old Sherman Ranch, the Bigelow property, the Skinwalker Ranch.
0: This place is a concentrated area for this activity. But beyond lights in the sky, they report about creatures on the ground. And this is something that was studied by our military defense, by our government. And it was also studied by about seven scientists for seven years under the the Bigelow Aerospace And Company. this is Robert yeah. Bigelow. Robert Bigelow, he's a billionaire. And uh, he made
1: his money off extended stay motels.
0: Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, just absolutely. That's how And he ran it. a
1: paranormal
0: wing of
1: uh, University of Nevada at Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, and he also ran NIDS, which is the National Institute, National for, Institute for Discovery Science. Science. And and that was incredible. So that was the most scientific uh, organization to look at a paranormal hotspot in history. So they focused on Skinwalker Ranch because he owned and bought Skinwalker Ranch. But this goes back to 1994 when the Shermans bought the ranch, right? And then uh, essentially from there, it was just chaos. I mean, the family was in disarray. The things that were happening to them, to straight-A student children went to F's, you know, the wife who was uh, a banker.
1: This happened to my children once. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's messed up, it's messed up. Man, you got the most mysterious voice in the whole Mojave Desert. I don't know if you're old or young, it's pretty wild.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, So... You have been welcomed onto this property, this property that has... Now, I went by there one time, and there was an old country fence. But you showed me pictures of the fence that exists there now, and it looks like the fence outside a military base, outside of Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah,
0: there's been a lot of attention at this ranch being that it is one of the hot spots in the area for this type of activity, both by the military and also by these unknown visitors. And so they have fortified the property because it is private property. You cannot just go there. But if you're invited, you can go on. And There's a handful of people on this earth that have been invited. And I was invited. and I was able to go on the ranch. And it, it is a strange and bizarre place
1: tell me three weird things that people have seen on this property
0: well i saw my drone crash into my mentor in journalism named george knapp it just went right into him and it was probably operator error but uh, i'm gonna blame it on the skinwalker uh, mm-hmm. So the, the way I got involved with Skinwalker Ranch is because my mentor in journalism, George Knapp, with a scientist named Colum Kelleher, they wrote a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker, and that's how I learned about this story. And so reading that book is a first good step to understanding the chaos and the weirdness. This
1: spun off from uh, George Knapp's articles in the Las Vegas Weekly,
0: right? It it in fact did, yeah. I mean, the story went to the Associated Press when the rancher came out and said were having weird stuff going on and he thought it was the government and he wanted to get attention to make sure they weren't trying to take his ranch or something but in fact the history of chaos on this ranch was happening way before and so when that came out george started reporting on it and actually he's had to keep secret about a lot of stuff because bigelow owned it and it was all private information
1: but there are things that were reported for instance there was a report of a kind of Beast you know the kind of thing that we hear with the Yucca Man or the Taquits, say shaggy red-eyed monstrosity etc, and also triangular ships
0: appearing portals opening man it, it it's, it's, it's wild out there so I mean I got to talk with I got to talk with the you know some of the police officers who patrol the area and not like out here in the high desert or low desert when you hear you know of chaos in a house. You you chalk it up to methamphetamine. This is is wild. They have to take every report seriously. So everything from lights in the sky to motherships to creatures. And a lot of this has been filmed and documented by the scientific organization NIDS when Bigelow owned it. A lot of that footage is coming out through my films in the next couple years.
1: Have you seen anything particularly weird on the property?
0: It's strange, man. I, I was the most skeptical I've ever been when I was on the property. If I saw something weird, I'd chalk it up to something normal. But it,
1: Like it, flying a drone into
0: Georgetown. Yeah, yeah, just flying the drone right into his face. Oh, man, I feel bad about that. Uh, yeah, you know, look, being in the path of the Skinwalker, we were the first people ever allowed to actually camp and film and take that footage off the Ute reservation. We got tribal elders to give us the permission to do that. That footage will be coming out. And absolutely, it was bizarre, man. It was strange. I did see things there that I had never seen anywhere else. Come on, tell us. Well, look, a lot of it's inconclusive, man. I mean, here's the deal. The phenomenon never repeats itself. So you go out there, you see something. I mean, the whole place lit up. We had lights the first night just looking at the ranch, but we found no source of the lights. We have nothing to report. There were lights. But, like, a lot of the people that live there, they are not talking to us. And we are documenting their experiences. And we are going to bring it out to you guys so you can hear what they're talking about.
1: I want to go in in the property.
0: You might freak out the things that freak people out. So I have to be careful of that.
1: (laughs) The thing that, that stands out most to me 20 years later is that these people who lived in the house had locks on the inside of all the closets.
0: Yeah. So the family that lived there, by the end of their, their, their time there, they were huddled in, in, in just a, you know their beds close together. Uh, it, it is something these families take seriously. And, and this area, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw it for myself. There's something to be revealed from this investigation. And I'm just at the end of it now.
1: All right. Well, we're going to look for that. Tell us about your uh, movie, Patient 17, which is out now
0: on iTunes, right? Yes, wild movie, man. So Patient 17. So this was an abduction story that turned into some alien implant story, and I did not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, but I met the guy. I met the guy who had happened to, it. he convinced me that something was to this. And so I made a movie about it, and you could watch it on iTunes, and basically it's me stumbling around. Trying to figure out if there's anything to this story. And in fact, the scientific evidence shows there is.
1: So the the the, the story is there's a doctor named Dr. Roger Lear, right? That's right. And he's general practitioner, podiatrist. He's a podiatrist, uh-huh. yeah. So and he got this idea from reports that people were finding little metallic things in their bodies, just under the skin, and they thought that these might be some kind of transmitters to the aliens, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Dan,
1: he took out how many of
0: these? Well, so uh, Patient 17 is the title of my movie. He's had 17 alleged implant removal surgeries. He died in the middle of filming of my, not not on did camera. Did you
1: crash a drone into him?
0: No, no I didn't. But, but it is a joke going around that don't film with me, because a lot of people I film, they're dead now, so... <laughs> Sorry.
1: In each of these surgeries, something comes out, right? Some kind of weird-looking little, like, metal cylinder.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very objectively, there were foreign bodies taken out of individuals who had abductive experiences. The only one that I've studied scientifically is patient 17s. And in that one, we have zinc isotopes that are non-terrestrial definitively, unless the test is flawed. So we're getting more tests. But yeah, absolutely, it's a, a strange... 36 elements in this alloy, some of which are rare earth elements.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and the, the patient, the patient himself, tell us a little bit about patient 17.
0: I mean, describe him like a cowboy. He's kind of like soft-spoken, and he's stoic, and he is the biggest skeptic throughout this whole experience. He knows that he had abductive experiences, but he has no idea what this thing was in his body. His eyes lit up like flying saucers when he saw the results the scientific it's results a real thing yeah it's, it's something is real about this all
1: right jeremy it's not coast to coast we're out of time <laughs> um thank you so much uh we're going to do that thing that we can't talk about on sunday but jeremy corbell director uh patient 17 it's it's
0: weird, weird yeah stuff. the desert oracle has blown my mind thanks for having me ken thank you jeremy <laughs>
1: I still can't watch the part with the surgery. I I don't like that. Now I want to tell you about a place not far from here. It's on the Butterfield stage route that connected the old Southern California desert and mountain towns of Borrego Springs and Warner Springs. And it's called Dead Man's Hole. At this oasis, a miner with his jackass or a stagecoach full of travelers could stop to water themselves, water their animals, enjoy the shade, enjoy a rest. The story emerged over time that there, as pretty much everywhere in Southern California, perhaps everywhere, there was a monster. Well, we've got Brendan Mays here. Brendan Mays, everyone. Um... good to uh, see you what i'm sorry about happened? that i, can't. I was uh, I
2: got late i was you know it's out in a
1: palm springs traffic a little heavy
2: no i was out in desert hot springs and uh i just got it's uh, a
1: call-in show you know it's for you Yeah, pick it up thank you all right
2: yeah i was in a desert hot springs you know they got these uh the range rovers you know the cars that can go anywhere right well uh you should the commercials they're driving out there and blasting through snowbanks uh, snow banks and doing donuts in the desert and everything scattering animals but uh,
1: you know you, you got don't, stuck you don't in the sand
2: the, yeah you pull off the side of the road on a soft shoulder and uh, i was stuck I was stuck there for about three hours what so. are you
1: doing up there
2: well uh you know ken uh, we we're doing uh, quite a few things out there you know uh, we at uh, the mojave mirage company are actively scouting locations for expansion of our operations Uh, We're looking to extend the Mojave Mirage Refreshment Solutions brand into one of the most lucrative business opportunities in a generation. I'm excited to announce here tonight the launch of Mojave Mirage Mystic Mist Herbal Sensations.
1: You you doing a dope grow? You're growing marijuana?
2: Well, yes, actually, Ken, that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to be uh, we're going to be having a grow operation out there. We plan on having a uh, full line of smokables, uh, edibles, infused beverages. You know, cosmetic and therapeutic salves and creams, lip balm, and you know whatnot. You know, so if you want to add a little THC to your life, we want to be there to help you. Look, Ken, this is—it's a, a huge industry, right? There's a, a retail a sales industry. last year. When does
1: it become legal in California? I, I believe it becomes
2: legal. January 1st. It becomes legal. You know, uh-huh. I mean, that's something to celebrate, right? I mean, it's going to grow to thirty billion dollars by 2020. That's a compound growth rate of over 17. percent That's going to earn a lot of people Big a lot earnings. of money.
1: Big earnings.
2: Big earnings. Yeah. Uh, there's a tremendous interest we have you know from uh, international investment bankers and hedge funds and we've got main backing from a few chinese generals and provincial governors looking to move the cash out you know uh, we got a you know a horticultural scientist from oregon state university we've got law enforcement experts from del norte county uh, food machine corporation is in on it this is going to be really big
1: why desert hot springs in particular
2: we had, there were, there were four considerations we were looking at. One of them, of course, was cheap land. Well, land out there in Desert Hot Springs is really cheap. Second thing, water. There's water everywhere. You could probably pump a million gallons, you know, and nobody would even notice it. Not, not a drop. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, cheap labor. I mean, just look around. You know, there's all these people standing around doing nothing, walking around in ditches, you know, spinning these weird yo-yo things walking down the road. And of course, you know, number four, which is very important, is we have very lax law enforcement, and so that's what we were we were looking at. Please go over my notes here first.
1: So, what you're looking at is a commercial grow operation. I assume you're going to be doing this indoors we will be doing this indoors do yes you have your prospectus in? well
2: i've got my uh, my prospectus here and it looks like i'm missing a page of my prospectus unfortunately which had a lot of really good information on it
1: there there are certainly investors out here so you know if you if you have a a, a way to approach it that differs from every other marijuana company in america
2: well, we're going to do an approach of trying to get local jobs for the local economy. Uh-huh. You know, something like 55% of, uh, of the area residents are dependent on some sort of government assistance, and we're looking to break that cycle of intergenerational dependency on the government with the best-known antidote, good-paying jobs. You know, I say to people, hey, you know, if you're looking for purpose in life, this is it. We're offering the chance for literally hundreds of people to stop being a drag on society. Stop being a drain on the public goodwill of hardworking Americans, beginning an exciting and rewarding career, contributing not only to their own pocketbooks, but to the happiness and betterment of society in general.
1: By selling recreational dope.
2: Yep, by selling recreational dope. That's how we're going to do it.
1: Uh Now, you're going to be doing this, I assume, indoors? Uh, we're going to be doing it indoors. We're starting with
2: outdoor test plots right now. In so, desert hot springs. In 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 desert hot springs. Yes,
1: that's right. What is your farming background, Brendan, if I could ask?
2: Uh, well, I tried to get in on the organic farming movement back in 1999 with a with a little farm I had up in the Bay Area, and we. Uh, Turns out pesticides are really, really important uh, for growing crops. You know, it's but Verticillium wilts. I mean, there's a million things that'll take you out right at the knees. And uh, we lost a lot of money, but it was it was a good effort. It was a good effort.
1: The the actual reason I invited you to the show is not because of whatever this is, but because of these flyers you've got all over all over Joshua Tree. I saw them at the Yucca Valley Swap Meet. Yes, that's the, right. Your, the town. Yeah, a, a mindfulness institute of some kind that yeah. you were offering a master's yes. degree in mindfulness.
2: We are offering absolutely yes, Ken. We are proud uh, to talk for the first time openly about our joint project with the Magic Mystic line of recreational marijuana. It's we are going to be opening the Mojave Mindfulness Masters Institute in conjunction with the lo- with the launch of the Mystic Mist line. Yeah. Look, we're a little bit late to this game, right? We needed something, some sort of gimmick, you know, like anything that would help differentiate ourselves from the rest of the competition. So we reached out to the Cistercians, but they're, you know, they're quite savvy. You know, they're good marketers. They, they wanted a majority-minority holding and control over creative and distribution, which you we were are not marketing
1: getting. marketing this thing in Joshua Tree as a Buddhist mindfulness retreat that will give degrees of some kind to those who take part. Is that correct? Yeah, that's basically correct. Yes, yes, that's basically correct. Do you yourself have any background in Buddhism? I'm no expert
2: in Buddhism. I'm no expert in Christianity. I'm no expert in Islam or anything. I just know what works. I bring business savvy knowledge and acumen to anything that uh, any, any sort of project that we, uh, we can dream up.
1: From the look of the flyers, and honestly I I only knew it was you because it was your hotmail address yeah, yeah, on it the little
2: it hotmail. It's so David.
1: You seem to be marketing this as a high desert Joshua tree, millennial, hipster, mindfulness kind of thing. Yes. And a sense that one could have personal and corporate growth by becoming more mindful. How does this play into the Desert Hot Springs property?
2: Well, you know, we had, we had to recapture the spiritual essence of the Mojave Mirage brand. And if you know anything about this area, you know, there's lots, there's a lot of many Zen practitioners or, and organizations out here. So We reached out to our friends in Silicon Valley. We have quite a few friends up there in social media and the software magnets up there. And uh, so they, they turned us on to a more corporate-friendly version of Zen Buddhism. It's called mindfulness. And get this, it's about breathing. I mean, what's easier than that? What's easier than breathing? Every day, people around the world and every single country are breathing. And we wanna be a part of that. I mean, come on, how easy is that? So anyway, we got a a Zen master in training from the Zen center near uh, San Francisco. The program begins with, uh, of course, the beginner's mind, which is that state of childlike naivete and openness to everything. The Foundation of Mindfulness beginners will then follow the program, advancing to successive levels of achievement, such as silver and gold-mined status, before finally reaching the platinum level and graduating, you know, with a certificate with a platinum mind. Uh, So far, all Watanabe has sent us is a one-page curriculum with the word breathe on it printed 66 times.
1: When do you hope to be bringing your first students i guess they're students to desert hot springs and what will they do there
2: zen master suzuki said fall down seven times and get up eight times well guess what there's exactly eight stages to the growing processing and packaging of marijuana it's like a natural fit it's like something from god or if you didn't believe in god some other religious thing so, like like many Zen Buddhist centers, we are uh, centering uh, on the concept of. Brendan,
1: life. we've run out of time. Uh, I thank you for joining us. My elevator
2: pitch is at the end.
1: Brendan Mays, everybody.
2: Thank you, Ken.
1: Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Check your tires. Um, A quick story before we leave you, friends, a story that you will remember more than any story about philosophy or business or monsters, because this story is about real estate. Better yet, it's about free real estate, free real estate, the desert dream, the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Well, free real estate is what the U.S. government was offering to common Americans. No bribe necessary. And all you had to do was go up to the Bureau of Land Management Office and make your claim upon one of the five-acre parcels made available by the Small Homestead Act of 1938. 437,000 acres of the Morongo Basin, including prime chunks of Pioneertown, Landers, Joshua Tree, and Wonder Valley, were up for grabs. But only a third of those parcels went into private hands because the desert was wild and harder to get to then. No water lines, no electricity. For many years, no telephone, no television, no Netflix. But the biggest hurdle was the requirement to prove up your claim, to build a cabin that met what in Silicon Valley is called the minimum viable specifications. A one-room shack, 400 square feet. Sometimes you to have an outhouse out back to get your deed, well, people with a little bit of money could buy a prefab cabin for about $1,400 in the 1950s. It would be installed on a slab on your five acres in the desert. Of course, uh, if you had a truckload of lumber and you brought your buddies from work, a couple of cases of Budweiser or Golden Grain all chilled up like the Dickens, maybe you could put up a cabin in a weekend. You'd have a cozy cinder block fireplace. Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys broadcasting live from KMJ in Fresno. Skies so full of stars that even on a moonless summer night, you could walk outside barefoot and walk around the scorpions. Well, people made their claims, but many failed to prove up, to prove they had built the required homestead cabin, and those parcels went back to the BLM. They became public land, desert, still out there today. One of those homestead flunkies was none other than Ronald Reagan. Now, Ronald Reagan got a taste for the desert when he was making Death Valley Days. And he came out and he made a claim, but he failed to prove up. He never built his homestead cabin. And that lot, we don't know exactly where it is, but it went back into the desert. And because of that, the high desert never became the playground of the presidents. That remained this area, Rancho Mirage, Thunderbird Club, Palm Desert. And the high desert remains a place that is left to the people least likely to start a nuclear war, even if they wanted to. Our announcer tonight was... Alana Mae Johnson, we did this event with the kind help of the Ace Hotel and Swim Club, especially Rohini Walker and Kate Naylor. Our theme music was composed by Pierre Langer. Tonight's show included ambient tracks made for this program by the artist Red Blue Black Silver in Joshua Tree. We are on Z107FM in Joshua Tree Friday nights at 10pm. Thank you so much for coming. This is the first time we did it. You all made it great. Thank you. Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert.